electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends? I'm just trying to help you make money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Which is it? Are we headed for a frightening future, or are things the best they've ever looked? Right now, it is no exaggeration to say that we have a truly Dickensian, best of times, worst of times scenario on our hands. Today, the averages seem to agree with the best of times thesis. Dow gaining 344 points, S&P jumping 1.12%, and the NASDAQ putting on a real show, jumping more than 2%. Perhaps because interest rates went lower? Or perhaps because, hey, maybe we're just getting a little oversold. you got to understand, right now, the American consumer is looking incredibly strong. We're spending at retail stores. We're using more credit. And after being pent up indoors for ages because of COVID, oh, we're finally ready to travel. Which is why, when we had the CEO of Delta Airlines, Ed Bastian, on CNBC this morning, in the wake of his terrific earnings, He could say some of the most bullish things I've ever heard about his airline, really about any industry in particular, and about the consumer in general. Listen to this. The demand is phenomenal. We've never seen in our company's history demand for our product and services at the level we are. In the month of March, we had the highest sales in terms of bookings of any month in our history. Holy cow, they've been around forever. Yet at the same time, if you listen to Jamie Dimon, the CEO of J.P. Morgan, on his quarterly conference call today, he told a much more downbeat story. Frankly, I thought it borderline frightening. In particular, he had some very discouraging comments about the war in Ukraine. Take a listen. I pointed out in my letter that, you know, war in Ukraine, usually wars don't necessarily affect the, geo, the global economy in the short run, but there are exceptions to that. This may very well be one of them. Then Jamie goes on. I hope those things all disappear and go away. We have a soft landing and the war is resolved. Okay, I just wouldn't bet on all that. <sighs> I just wouldn't bet on all of that. 
Not encouraging. Now, both of these guys could be right. Delta's bastion is looking at bookings, and he's shocked to see how strong they are. Plus, he's noticing that passengers have little to no resistance to higher prices, something he can't recall seeing the history and the entire history of the airline industry. I think a lot of people, ah, come on, they're desperate to travel now that it's safe. You've also had a ton of delayed weddings that can be held. Now, um, when we had, oh man, when we had J.P. Morgan's Matt Boss, the best retail analyst in the business on the show the other day, he said the consumer's quite strong. But Jamie Dimon, on the other hand, well, he runs a worldwide bank. And when he looks at his book of business, he sees problems. A $500 million loss due to the war in Ukraine. The creeping up of possible loan losses after years of them going down. The possible intensification of an unpredictable war. The sticker shock from inflation. The resulting slowdowns. The Fed needs to raise rates to stamp out inflation. These are not bullish things. In fact, if Diamond talked like Bastion, <laughs> he'd sound like a lunatic. But that makes sense. Bastion deals with the consumer. Diamond deals with the consumer, but also the enterprise. Consumers might be willing to spend like mad, even in the face of a Fed-mandated slowdown, just because they're so eager to get out again. But businesses, different set of priorities. So what happens? Delta stock, it finishes up $2.41 or 6.21%. J.P. Morgan's, it loses $4.24 or 3.22% of 52-week low. All right, so now, how do we make sense of this best of times, worst of times moment? First, let me tell you something I learned more than 40 years ago when I bought my first stock, American Agronomics. I heard about this company, that it had amazing orange groves in Florida. It sounded like they're having a banner year. I went to the Mercantile Library in New York City, read some reports about it. Everything checked out. Plus, maybe best of all, American Agronomics was only a $10 stock. So how much could I possibly lose? Well, let me tell you something. Right after I bought it, Florida got hit with the worst frost in its whole history. And I lost almost my entire investment. In other words, luck. Luck plays a huge role in this business. If Putin blinks, then maybe the whole crisis, the whole crisis could come to an end. Wouldn't that be fabulous? Now, you may think, wait a second, that's fanciful. But I'm old enough to remember the Cuban Missile Crisis. When John F. Kennedy threatened nuclear war over Soviet missiles that were in Cuba. And Nikita Khrushchev, the head of the Soviet Union, he blinked. And Khrushchev, I know Putin's supposed to be tough. Khrushchev was one, he was one tough guy. He was a war hero at the Battle of Stalingrad. He was one of the toughest soldiers in a war that cost the Soviet Union more than 28 million lives. Putin doesn't have that kind of credibility. So maybe he'll blink, too. If that happens, then we will look back and think Jamie Dimon's comments were too dire. You can bet the other bank CEOs heard him loud and clear. They watched his stock plummet so they won't be making the same mistake again. Believe me. At the same time, we know the travel business is incredibly fickle. Hey, a lot of things go wrong. How about like bad weather? Maybe Ed Bastian and his team at Delta will turn out to be too bullish. We don't know. More important, though. These two industries, the banks and travel, are not for everyone. Both the banks and the airlines can be very sink or swim, so you might not want to extrapolate too hard to the rest of the economy. Perhaps we should think about something with a longer-term perspective. 
Did you know that today Procter & Gamble increased its dividend by 5%? The 66th year that the firm boosted its payout. I know, only yields 2.3% here, but you know what? You know why? Because the stock has steadily rallied for ages. Well-managed, great products, everyone used them in a slowdown. As I said to the CBC Investing Club today, plain bang shampoo, what you need the most in a recession? Procter. All right, here's another one. If you think Bastion is right and the airlines are doing fabulously, then how about a destination? We told Investing Club members at our morning meeting that if people are traveling, they'll head to the most coveted vacation spot on Earth. They're going to Disney World. Right now, there's not, whoa, a lot of negative mojo about Disney. Matter of fact, I can't recall another time when this iconic company was more at odds with the price of its stock. These situations usually resolve themselves positively for the stock as Disney makes changes to close the gap. And that's what's going to happen here. Trust me. Or... If you're interested in owning a bank, but are turned off by Jamie Dimon's comments. Believe me, so are the other big banks. Banks make fortunes when the Fed raises rates. They can invest your deposits in treasuries, get higher risk-free returns while paying you next to nothing. And remember, if you want to find a bank that will benefit the most from higher rates, look no further than Bank of America, which has a gigantic deposit base, much more of a domestic story than J.P. Morgan. And also, by the way, I bet you Brian Moynihan, the CEO, I bet you he listened to Jamie. He's not going to echo that guy. If that doesn't work for you and you think Jamie's right about how the war in Ukraine could spiral out of control, then maybe it's time to own a defense contractor. I think Raytheon Technologies, best way to play it. You, if you believe the Ukrainian government will be getting more hardware from the West, I hope they do. But as always, hope should be not part of the equation. The bottom line, look. This is a hyper-confusing moment, but I want you to search for stocks that can work long-term, regardless of whether we're in the best of times, the worst of times, or both. Let's go to Nicholas in Maryland. Nicholas! Booyah, Jim. I was just wondering if you think I should hold on to Chipotle, letter CMG. Also, I was wondering if you could shout out my business teacher, Mr. Marks. It would mean the world. I would like to shout out to Mr. Marks. I can whisper! To Mr. Merch, that I think he's doing a good job. Chipotle is breaking out here, and I think it's the best of the best, and I think you should own it. I've liked it since 300. I like it at 1500. Jeff in California, please, Jeff. Kramer, I'm a founding member of the Investing Club. Loving the morning meetings. Just read your club piece on net interest margins. Could not have been more timely. Oh, thank you a lot. Thank you. Oh, sir, thank you so much. I'm looking for banks that will profit as the Fed raises rates. I saw a bank stock mentioned in the newsletter has a yield of 3.7, a P.E. less than 8, and a recent double upgrade to buy. What's your take on Key Corp? Uh, I think Key Corp is, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I think Key Corp's terrific, and I think you should buy it. I would buy it tomorrow. That's how good it is. It doesn't have the problems at all that J.P. Morgan has. It's the perfect antidote to J.P. Morgan. All right, right now is the time to search for stocks that can work long-term, regardless of whether in the best of times or the worst of times, or both. One man tonight, our growth at a reasonable price series continues, and I'm digging into the semiconductor stocks to see if any could pose a good value. Then, could today's bounce in the averages be a sign of what's to come? 
I'm going off the charts on the NASDAQ 100 to see if tech could be ready to rally. And with our response to the COVID-19 pandemic continuing to evolve, I'm learning more about what's working and what's not with Dr. Eric Topol. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact, smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visible visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. Today we got a reprieve with the averages bouncing nicely, but the last few weeks, oh boy, they've been absolutely brutal for the stock market especially for tech, rather than getting euphoric about this rebound or too beaten down about the long-term downtrend. Your goal should always be taking your emotions out of the equation. I say that all the time. See, the more intense the action gets, the more you need to take a deep breath and consider the quantitative side of the equation. And that's why tonight we're going off the charts with Carolyn Barone. She's that brilliant technician who's working now we found on ElliottWaveTrader.net or get this, on Twitter, at Queen of Fibs. Remember, we last checked in with her about a month ago when the average is bottom. She told us the rebound could have short-term legs, but eventually she predicted correctly it would run out of steam. Sure enough, that's exactly what happened. We got a couple of strong weeks followed by relentless churn lower. Hey, so how does she feel about the action now? 
Let's start by taking a look at the daily chart of the NASDAQ 100. That's a tech-heavy index made up of the 100 largest non-financial tech stocks in the NASDAQ composite that basically has controlled the market for years. This one's important because it's been ground zero for the stock market's meltdown since November, when the Fed finally got aggressive about cracking down on inflation. The NASDAQ 100 did bottom in mid-March before rallying hard for the next couple of weeks. But then it seemed to peak again near the end of March, and it's now spent the last two weeks rolling over. What can Baroden's methodology show us about the NDX? Okay, if you remember, she likes to measure past swings in a given security and then run them through the prism of what's known as Fibonacci ratios. That's this bizarre, weird series of numbers that repeat over and over again in nature. Snail shells, flowers, pine cones. It's all Fibonacci. And you find these ratios showing up (laughs) really incredible in the stock market, too, for some bizarre reason that we'll probably never be able to explain. What matters, though, is that it works. When Baroden applies these Fibonacci ratios to a stock's past swings, she can identify potentially important levels. That stock or the market is likely to change its trajectory. The key here is that you can use this analysis on both the y-axis of the chart, which is price, and the x-axis, which is time. Whenever Broden sees a cluster of Fibonacci timing cycles coming due around the same moment, it tells her that the stock or index in question could be poised to reverse its recent direction. And that's a big part of the reason why she knew we were ready to bottom in mid-March, at least in the near term. What a great call. And looking at the NASDAQ 100, Broden points out that we recently had a cluster of five Fibonacci timing cycles that came due between March 28th and March 31st. And sure enough, the index was rallying into that window and a lot of people got very excited. And then it peaked, which is exactly what her methodology predicts. The Nasdaq 100 peaked on March 29th and since then it's down more than a thousand points. All right, so now let's zoom in on a bit with this next chart of the Nasdaq 100. At least until today, this index has really been struggling. It's been almost straight down since that cluster Fibonacci timing cycle she mentioned in March. This has been a very brutal period. After this kind of action, Broden wants to watch both time and price parameters to anticipate the next trade below. On the timing front, she says she has two periods where the Nasdaq 100 is likely to make an important low. The first period is yesterday. And today, in other words, today's rebound might have more staying power than you'd expect. But then she also sees a few other timing cycles coming down due between Friday and next Tuesday. That said, according to Broden, while these Fibonacci timing cycles are certainly helpful, and then you can see this one and then this one, 415, 419, we only get an actual reversal of the trend about 60% of the times when we see these reversal signals. Oh, better than a coin toss, but far from anything we want to make a real bet on. In other words, her methodology gives us dates where the odds of reversal are a lot higher, even as they're still a long way from being 100%. Next, how about price? Okay, let's zoom in. And, and this is really important because this is the, this is the bad chart. Let's view, zoom in on the NASDAQ 100. As far as pricing goes, Broden says we're testing some key support levels with the possibility that the index revisits its lows from March 14, which we know would be pretty bad. Right now, she's watching the 13,878 level, uh, down more than 300 points where we are now uh, after today's big rally. 
with important levels at 13683 and 13500 that's a ton of it's really a ton of support okay However, Broden nevertheless sees a big problem with this chart, which is that the NASDAQ 100 is still in pretty darn bad shape from a technical perspective. Its price remains below the 200-day moving average, the simple moving average, and look at that. I mean, well below, okay? Well, well below. Uh, as well as the shorter-term 50-day moving average, which is another one that's very important. It's still not, it's still not able to, to hold that. So what do we say about this? Broden has an important buyer-sell trigger that she likes to watch. It's called the five-day exponential moving average versus the 13-day exponential moving average. When the five-day goes above the 13-day, okay, and five days blue, when it goes above, that's your favorite buy trigger. Oh, but when the five-day goes below the 13-day, it's favorite sell trigger. Right now, Broden says we're definitively in sell territory, not in buy territory. In short, even if the timing cycles do kick in to create another meaningful low, Broden thinks we still need to be prepared for the NASDAQ 100 to have another downside failure because the technicals are so poor. We've seen this before. You've got to be up there. It's got to be way up there. It's not. Now, if we do get a meaningful reversal, if today's rebound can continue, then Broden says her first target for the NASDAQ 100 is 14.320 with another ceiling, 14.550, and then uh, 14.770. But as she sees it, we're definitely not out of the woods yet. And she's certainly not making it all clear call, even as when you leave here tonight, you feel like, wow, it's great. So here's the bottom line. The charts, as interpreted by Carol Baroden, suggest the NASDAQ 100 could make an important low sometime this week. And maybe it's already happened. If that's the case, then the recent bloodbath might be over for the moment. However, you might not want to get too attached to this move because Broden says the underlying technical picture, and that's not Fibonacci. That's just a real technical picture. Remains ugly. Still, you can get a good chance to unload some tech here in order to raise money to buy other things that might have an easier time in the market going forward. I hate this. Stick with Kramer. Coming up on The Hunt for Growth, what chip stocks might home gamers consider? Kramer tackles the most controversial semis. Next. You seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. All week, we've been running a series on GARP. And that, of course, is growth at a reasonable price. And the stocks that have it. Specifically, we're on the hunt for companies with above-average growth and price-to-earnings multiples that are below their respective earnings growth rates. On Monday, we covered the cheap travel and restaurant names. What did they work today? 
because, of course, what Delta said. Then last night, we highlighted the underappreciated financials yet to work. Tonight, we're looking for GARP in a more beaten down industry, the semiconductor and semiconductor capital equipment space. Now, unlike travel, which obviously benefits from the great reopening, or the financials, which Wall Street tends to love when the, whenever the Fed is tightening. The semis are controversial right now. We know this industry has been doing very well thanks to the widespread chip shortages. But in recent months, investors have given up on this entire group. The Philadelphia Semiconductor Index peaked on January 4th and since then has pulled back more than 23% from its highs. That is a monster decline. I think there's a sense that the chip makers will get hurt as we head into the Fed-mandated recession. Or maybe they'll abort after what we saw today. Plus, all things tech have been crushed lately. So to some extent, these hardware plays are simply collateral damage. At these levels, I think a bunch of them have started to look pretty enticing. Obviously, others did too, or they could, the group couldn't have been so darn strong today, especially because it got hit with some very real negative price target cuts. When we ran our growth and valuation screens in the semiconductor cohort, we came up with seven names that passed the growth at a reasonable price or GARP test. We've got two commodity chip makers, Micron and Western Digital, although the commodity label seems like a bit of a misnomer at this point. We've got two really high-value chip makers, that's AMD and Skyworks. Then we've got three amazing semiconductor capital equipment makers, Kelly, Lamb Research, and Applied Materials. They are the jewels of the American semiconductor capital manufacturing business. So let's take them down. Let's, uh, starting with the two so-called commodity plays, Micron and Western Digital. Now, we know Western Digital as the maker of flash memory and hard drives, with a stock that's been hammered for good reason. When Western Digital reported late January, the headline numbers were good, but their guidance fell well short of expectations. Then a week later, they had a contamination issue with one of their plants in Japan. That problem has now been solved, but because of it, Western Digital had to cut its forecast for the first quarter, which was already disappointing when it was issued. Now, these guys also have a ton of exposure to the personal computer market, which was down 7% in the first quarter and is now scaring everyone. So there are good reasons to feel bearish about Western Digital. The thing is, the stock's already come down nearly 40% from its highs last summer. And look, even with all these problems, the company's still on track to rack up 76% earnings growth this year and more than 20% earnings growth next year. Still good. Of course, Wall Street clearly thinks these estimates won't be made. They think there'll be some big cuts. And that's why Western Digital only trades at a ridiculous paltry five times next year's earnings. How about Micron? Long one of my favorites since we changed the management. The new management in there has done a great job. This one has similar similarities to Western Digital, but it's much better run and has a stronger mix of businesses. Micron makes memory and storage chips, flash and DRAMs to be specific. When the company reported its most recent quarter on March 29, the headline numbers were truly spectacular. I talked to them on Squawk on the Street. They had some good things to say. Management's guidance for the current quarter was even better company projecting sequential gross margin increases for both its DRAM and flash businesses. That tells you that the supply of these chips remains tight and prices holding up. But Micron stock ended up selling off on the news because Wall Street chose to focus on just a 
teeny tiny negative comments about management supply chain disruptions related to the Russian invasion of Ukraine. They also talked about the softening demand in the uh, consumer PC market, which scared people away, even as it didn't stop Micron from giving you an incredibly bullish forecast. Now, throw in some newfound worries about the Chinese lockdowns hitting the whole electronics manufacturing industry. And you can see why Micron stock is down 12% since reporting that excellent quarter. By the way, that is a severe overreaction. But I, too, was gripped about when this stock could go, stop going down. I say the worry warts are focused on the wrong things. We know the enterprise PC business is doing just fine. We know Micron's got a ton of content in cars. We know their data center business is absolutely on fire. What matters to me is that Micron's earnings are growing like a weed. Yet the stock's trading again, seven and a half times earnings. It's a steal down here. Next, let's talk about the more proprietary chip makers that passed the GARP test. And that's AMD and Skyworks. These are both long-term Kramer faves. Under the leadership of Lisa Su, AMD has become a CPU and graphics processor powerhouse with huge exposure to gaming and the data center. However, the stock's been hit hard in recent months, and don't I know it, oh, plunging more than 40% from its peak in late November. That's extraordinary. Full disclosure, we own AMD for the Chapel Trust, and it has been a very rough ride. And believe me, when I say rough ride, if you read our bulletins, you will not believe how bereft I am and upset. Oh, well. Did AMD do anything wrong? Don't want, the, don't want to fire? Did AMD do anything wrong other than some exposure to the softening PC market? Everything's going really well here. The problem with AMD is that it used to be a fairly expensive stock, trading at 60 times earnings late last year. And then the market suddenly turned against high-flying growth names. Now, we sold some AMD for the Chapel Trust earlier this week. Probably won't be a good sale. But that was more about right-sizing the position and pivoting away from tech, which I told you has, we have all have too much exposure to. However, now that the stock's been obliterated, it sells for just 24 times earnings, the cheapest it's been since 2015, when it wasn't a well-run company. If you don't already own AMD, I think on weakness, you buy it. Now, what about Skyworks? These guys make all sorts of chips for wireless connectivity, getting two-thirds of their sales from the mobile business. And that's why the stock is basically treated as a proxy for the smartphone industry. And right now, Wall Street's not feeling too good about smartphones. Frankly, I am sick and tired of having to defend Skyworks. It's a very well-run company with an incredible track record that should benefit enormously from the rise of 5G because 5G phones need more of their chip content. Skyworks has been hit because investors are worried about short-term Chinese supply disruptions. But longer term, this is a terrific company with a stock that trades just over 10 times earnings. The last two times it got this cheap, May 2019 and March 2020, were fantastic times to buy it, even as it caught some real negative earnings news today. Oh, God, they're hideous. Finally, let's talk about one of my favorites, the semiconductor capital equipment plays, KLA, Lam Research, and Applied Materials. They all passed the GARP test because they have mid-teams priced earnings multiples, despite being on track to generate earnings growth in the high teens to high 20s. The overall thesis for KLA, Lam, and Applied Materials is the same. We've got a worldwide semiconductor shortage that's lasted for 15 months. So we desperately need new foundries. And who do you think makes the equipment for these foundries? These guys. And by the way, their orders are all spectacular. All anyone is doing is projecting, which is a lot better than I can do tonight. 
Well, that's why KLA, LAM, and AMT, AMT, and Applied Matt were trading at all-time highs in, in January. However, they've fallen substantially in recent months, down anywhere from 26 to 35% from their peaks as part of the broader sell-off in all things semi-related. Some powerful analysts have been cutting their price targets, including today, arguing that Wall Street will pay less for the earnings now that we're headed for a Fed-mandated recession, if indeed we are. Okay, I get it. However, I don't see the semiconductor capital equipment plays taking much more of a hit from a slowing economy because the chip shortage in this country and the world is just too severe. The bottom line, growth at a reasonable price abounds in this beaten down market. And that includes the more controversial semiconductor space. Just be aware that these chip stocks might remain at a reasonable price for the foreseeable future because Wall Street has just got no love until today. For this entire darn group. Let's go to Jim in Florida. Jim. Hey, Jim Kramer. Jim Clark down here in Tampa, Florida. How you doing? I love Tampa. I love it. Good. Yeah, it's beautiful. Hey, listen, uh, should I buy, sell, or hold Marvell Technologies, MRVL? Marvell happens to be my favorite semiconductor company. Why? They're in high growth uh, performance computing, meaning the data center. And they're in 5G. They're in the two strongest markets. MRVL should be bought right here. All right, growth at a reasonable price, which is GARP, abounds in a group that's really been beaten down, which are the semis. Much more mad money headed, including my exclusive with Dr. Eric Topol. With COVID-19 cases rising in certain parts of the country, I'm learning more about our efforts to keep the virus contained with one of the best stocks in the industry. Then recently, we've been hearing some negative analysts about the prospects for the market. I'm revealing what you should make of their warnings. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. As much as we all want to turn the page on this horrible pandemic era, The truth is that we haven't been able to fully overcome COVID yet. There's a horrific outbreak in China right now that's putting even more pressure on the global supply chain. And here in the U.S., the latest Omicron subvariant has also exploded in certain parts of the Northeast. I know a ton of people have just got it. So even though those of us who've been fully vaccinated will probably be fine, the pandemic is still weighing on the stock market. That's why we thought tonight we got to check in with the expert. We got to go back to Dr. Eric Topol, the world-renowned cardiologist turned founder and director of the Scripps Research Translational Institute, who's become our most trusted source on COVID. You can see him on Twitter. He's fantastic. Dr. Topol, welcome back to Mad Money. Thanks, Jim. Great to be with you again. All right. First question. Are we out of the crisis in the United States? Well, as you mentioned, we have this BA2 variant wave we're seeing in the Northeast. But I have to say, Jim, it's not going to be anything like what we've been through. Uh, the rate of the rise of cases uh, is, is much different, much less, uh, very little increase in hospitalizations. And so with the Northeast being the first part of this BA2 wave, it looks like it's going to be uh, much reduced from what we went through in December, January, February. But we are going to see uh, a lot of cases, uh, you know, an increase that's going to be felt for the next few weeks. So we got to keep our guard up. But you did. You tweeted today an amazing chart that was so positive and it made me very excited to think that maybe we're in the epidemic phase. Yeah, the reason for that is, um, as you're getting to, 
about half of Americans had Omicron BA1. And not only that, but the infection induced immunity as on top of the vaccinations puts us in good stead. That is, you know, we suffered so much in those first few months of this Omicron wave. That's why at least this part won't be as bad. So, you know, the, the good part is we've seen new studies, one of which was today, as you're mentioning, that gives us some confidence about the immunity that was generated from all these Omicron infections and booster shots. And we have new data today from booster shots for people over 60, a second booster, that is a fourth shot, it shows protection enhanced uh, for death, against death, Omicron, hospitalizations, uh, severe illness. So we have the tools to help keep us out of, out of trouble. And that's why I'm getting the fourth booster tomorrow when I saw that. Now, let's switch entirely. Let's switch to China. Dr. Topol, what the heck is happening in China? Yeah, it's really surprising because they have the ability to get vaccines in everyone, but they've left the uh, people uh, elderly uh, unprotected uh, in a significant way. And as you know, there's almost no infection acquired or natural immunity there. So they have a vicious uh, outbreak. Uh, we only uh, have uh, ability to get a, a, a limited handle on that, what's going on in Shanghai. But what is likely to happen in China is, is a very uh, significant crisis because they have uh, the vaccines don't work that well against Omicron. It requires a third shot. The third shots haven't been um, in a proportion of people that should be, especially in people of advanced age. So uh, tr China has some trouble, uh, unfortunately, right now. Hopefully their efforts, uh, lockdowns aren't going to do it. So it's going to have to be uh, those third shots that gets the protection against Omicron without any infection immunity to speak of. Well, um, why don't they reach out to us? We've got mRNA. They don't have mRNA. We can help them. You know, that would be great. It would be nice to have real collaboration. Uh, that's one good thing about our vaccines. They held up really well. Uh, and, you know, we didn't get as many booster shots in Americans as we have needed to especially in people of advanced age. But you're right. That's one of the liabilities that China had. And even Hong Kong, which had the worst uh, Omicron wave in the world, uh, they had more mRNA than China, which has in mainland, there's no mRNA. Amazing. Now, I flew this weekend. We put our masks on. Um, you know, we're all kind of used to it, but we hate it. And we're trying to figure out why the heck we're still doing it. Time, time <laughs> to get rid of them. Well, if you're using cloth masks, they don't do much against Omicron, uh, a little bit, but not much. That's why it makes it even tougher, Jim, because if you got to wear an N95 mask or a KN94, you know, it's not very comfortable, especially on a long flight. Right. But those are the kind of masks that are needed uh, indoor settings, uh, especially against this hyper contagious uh, family of Omicron variants. So you you think we should keep them on? Well, you know, uh, on a plane, uh, mm -hmm. you don't know who's on that plane with you. Right, right. There's no, there's no vaccination requirement. And, uh, you know, if you're traveling in places uh, that are having a high circulating virus, or people coming from those places, you don't know who you're, the air you're breathing on that plane. So, yeah, I mean, to extend the, Good point. the mask Good point. Uh, is, is helpful for a few weeks. You know, eventually we're going to get into a quiet phase. 
it, you know, hopefully by the end of May, things are going to be looking really good. We're at the lowest level of COVID hospitalizations for the whole pandemic right oh. now. So there are, there are encouraging signs, but we have to be patient. We can't be at all complacent. Well, one last question. Uh, my hometown is Philadelphia. And <laughs> the masks are back on inside. Doesn't that seem like it's a little counterintuitive? Yeah, I mean, you know, the, to have the masks that are not, uh, you know, the high quality medical grade to make those a mandate um, when we know they don't have enough of an effect, that doesn't seem reasonable. So it is a lot up to the individual to be cognizant of what really helps. Uh, but hopefully we can get over this mandate thing. Um, but I do think, you know, when, when you're stuck on a long flight on a plane, um, that's where you probably want to use, you know, everything you've got, uh, at least for the time being. We've just got a few more weeks to go. Okay, fair and as long as we don't get another really bad Greek letter variant, uh, we're, we're in pretty good shape for the time being. Oh, as always, doctor, thank you so much for coming on Mad Money. Just great to hear from you. Thank you, Jim. That's Dr. Topol, Scripps Translational Science Institute founder and director. Bit of a mouthful for me tonight. Follow him on Twitter. Read his books. He's really extraordinary. Bad money's back after the break. Coming up, a storm is coming. So give us a call. Kramer's got the answers to all your burning questions. The lightning round is next. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Time for the lightning round. Kramer's much over. Jerry in Florida. Jerry. Hi, Jim Kramer. Jerry Cairns, Vero Beach, Florida, by way of Detroit, Michigan. Excellent. First of all, thanks for all the wisdom and knowledge you share with all your faithful followers. Thank it means a great deal to them. I will do anything as the show attests to come out here. Yeah, and boy. I've been a 20-year listener and watcher, and this is the first time getting through. All right. I'm calling, about, I'm calling about rocket companies based out of Detroit, Michigan. Oh, my. You know, it's such a good company, but when rates go up, it does poorly. And the Fed wants housing to slow. So, therefore, their business is going to slow, too. Too soon to buy. Let's go to Brad in New York. Brad. Booyah, Kramer. Booyah. I'm calling about a stock that I don't ever hear anyone talk about. It's increased revenue year after year, and I understand that they're known for their wearables. But being a fisherman, I see how their panoptic live scope technology sonar has swept the fishing industry. What are your thoughts on Garmin, ticker GRMS? I fish? I agree. It's fabulous. I think all their stuff is fabulous, and I think their stock is great, and I agree with you. Let's go to Chris in Florida. Chris. Booyah! I love your show. Jim, I've been a long-time listener and a fan of yours. And my question is, where do you see Mosaic six months to a year from now? And agriculture stocks, when will the uptrend me Let me pull a switcheroo. I think Agco is cheaper, and I think Deer is better, and I want you in one of those two. I'm going to Tom in California. Tom. Hi, Jim. Tom. I'm calling about Jack in the Box. 
Very tough. I say let's go for the best. On the lower end, McDonald's. And on the higher end, we're going to go for Chipotle. And that's the way it is. Let's go to Mark in Wisconsin. Mark. Uh, Dr. Kramer, thank you for taking my call. I've got a question for you about a REIT in the medical sector. Ticker is DOC. Name of the company is Physicians Realty Trust. I think it's okay. I, you know, frankly, I, I know Ventas has gone up a lot lately, but I think Ventas is still better even at this at this level. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, Jay Powell's doing everything he can to set a course for a soft landing. But is it worth a home gamer's time to fret over the yield curve? Kramer explores next. This is supposed to be a live by the sword, die by the sword business. That's how I feel about some of the most negative calls we hear constantly these days. In the last few weeks, we've heard endlessly, and I mean endlessly, about how the inverted yield curve is a sure sign that we're headed for a recession. When two-year treasuries start yielding more than 10-year treasuries, we're told it means the economy is about to hit a wall. I'm dubious because the economy's been insanely strong, even with a Fed-mandated slowdown. We might not reach recession. As I see it, the inverted yield curve has called 12 of the last six recessions. Now, sure, you could argue the Fed's now willing to destroy the economy in order to save it from inflation. And by the way, some of these Fed officials, they clearly think we need an actual recession to cool things down. I disagree. I think Jay Powell would prefer to engineer a soft landing. But I bring this up because these same savants who scream about the inverted yield curve are now nowhere to be found now that we've had two straight days with red-hot inflation data where the yield curve has uninverted. The short rates are now well below where they were, and the long rates are much higher, which is actually how it's supposed to be. Perhaps it's a peak in inflation. Rather than a terrifying yield curve that signals a recession, we've got a typical yield curve that's signaling a soft landing. Now, I don't want to get too in the weeds here, but I consider it part of my job to downplay these overhyped scare factors. I think the people who shout about a recession every time the yield curve slightly inverts are guilty of being chicken littles because it's not a reliable indicator. But will any of the commentators who push the inevitable recession story come on air and admit that they jumped the gun? Now that the yield curve has uninverted, will they apologize, perhaps, for frightening you out of the stock market? Whenever I screw up, I got to own it. And I mean a lie by my critics anyway. But you know what? That's good. It's the way things are supposed to work. You live by the sword, you die by the sword. Yet none of these overeager bears ever seem to fall on their own swords when they get it wrong. Now, I'm not predicting, I'm not saying here, making any predictions about the yield curve, because that's only in the hands of the Fed and the chief, Jay Powell. And Jay plays it real close to the vest. If rising mortgage rates, which are priced off of longer-term treasury bonds, cause a slowdown in home buying, and it surely looks like that's happening now, 
then maybe the Jeremiah's of Powell's fellow FedHeads will have done their job of hitting the brakes on commerce without crushing us. While housing is only 10% of the economy, we always talk about how it punches well above its weight. It's connected to everything from lumber, copper, plastics, salaries, retail sales, all of which have demonstrated severe overheating. Or if the Fed were to start, let's say they were to start really bailing out on their $9 trillion hoard of treasury and mortgage bonds, most of which are longer dated piece of paper, then it could take that part of the yield curve parabolic. Now, I'm not doing this to scold anyone or because I'm irritated that these bears get to be insanely negative with total impunity, although I am. I'm doing this because I want you to own shares of companies that are solid and that are well-rounded. Rather than being hostage to any particular part of the yield curve. You see, when you own good stocks, not rent them, you won't be scared out of your positions the next time these scaremongers start ranting about the tens and the twos. I'd like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.